you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Over the last few months, our Andover community uh, has had to bury uh, great saints of the church. We've had uh, these three men and Dr. Hunter and Ed Simpson and John Davis who, uh, who were living, breathing examples of, uh, of goodness and of God's love, and, and we've had to do the hard work of, of honoring their lives uh, in this brief service, a service of death and resurrection, a funeral service, if you will, and, and we come to these moments to declare uh, God's love for them and, and to hope in the promises to come and, and to bear witness to these men and to their lives. And it is wholly inadequate, and yet at the same time it is beautiful and sacred it's, it's forced me to spend a lot of time thinking about how we really are the, the sum total of all of our lives' experiences. Uh, I think Billy did a beautiful job of inviting uh, folks from all corners of John's life to come speak uh, uh, to his life yesterday, that, that John uh, was a teacher. John was a mason. He was a roller coaster enthusiast, and he was a family member to, to beloved people. He, he was the sum experience of his whole life, of those moments with family and friends, the moments of joy and the moments of sorrow, the moments where God felt very near and the moments where God felt very far. I have felt this to be pretty profound, and maybe it is showing my lack of uh, regular reflection, to think about how much everything in our lives has shaped us to be the people we are in this very moment. I've, I've uh, listened to each of these men's stories, and they all stuck with the same vocation they picked right out of college uh, for their whole lives. John knew at his essence he was the music teacher. Ed flourished and thrived in his uh, work at the golf course. Dr. Hunter was uh, one of those people who knew they were ready to be a preacher from the get-go. My generation, on average, is expected to have 12 different jobs in the course of their lifetime. And so I've started to think about how many I've had. And if you count when I started working on the hog farm in seventh grade, I have had 10 different jobs and have thought about how each of those shaped me. The hog farm taught me a lot about trust because I'm the seven year old, seven, uh, seventh grade kind of city boy who gets dropped off in the middle of nowhere at the Little Creek Hog Farm. It's me and 127,000 pigs. There is no bathroom there. There is no refrigerator for your cold beverages. Uh, it, it, it became a moment of learning uh, how to trust that those that you love will come back. My mother would drop me off in the morning and say, see you at six o'clock. I worked in a tennis store where I got to see uh, folks of affluence uh, come in and be kind or come in and be kind of hateful. I worked in a gun store where I got to meet people who uh, hunted and fished and, uh, and uh, did these things and they taught me about these things. I worked in a grocery store and at one point decorated cakes in the bakery. I worked in a, 
a home goods store, and for one day and one day only, I was a flower arranger. <laughs> they moved me to the cash register pretty quickly after that one day, but it, it, it shaped me. Uh, as I was heading uh, through college, I began to work for an e-commerce business selling used golf clubs on eBay, and we went through uh, great times and bad. It was a, a, a place of learning how to, uh, to celebrate the good and then how to survive the bad, and then how to say uh, goodbye to something that needs to be said goodbye to. And the 2008 uh, financial collapse really hit the golf market harder than we anticipated for some reason, and, and that meant another chapter a lady from church knew I wanted to head to seminary and she knew I needed some money, so she hired me to work for the Office of Technology Transfer at East Carolina University managing non-technical patents and copyrights. That look on your face, Susan, is right. Uh, bulk of my time was spent on things like snake bite devices that professors invented and trying to see if we can monetize them and bring them to the market. Uh, but what I learned there was how to speak in public. This uh, lady who brought me in knew that I was terrified, that I was sick to my stomach every time I had to speak in public. And so instead of like sticking me in a corner, she stuck me in front of every room she could. I'm terrified. And she says, oh, it's just the board of trustees for the university. Go tell them about what we're doing. I came to the seminary and worked in this library for 7.25 an hour with an MBA and had to learn humility. We had these great ideas of how the library could monetize this $50,000 scanner they had bought. We could uh, set up this thing that would actually create perpetual income for the library, and we were ignored because we were students. And I had to learn there that, uh, that humility is important for me. And then I've been at First Church for going on eight years now, and, and the, the ways in which this, this ministry has shaped and formed me to be who I am today uh, are unspeakable. The, the moments of God's grace and life with you, the sitting down across the table and talking, the sitting uh, preparing for your baptisms or your funerals have been holy moments of, of shaping for me too. I've been shaped by my family and, and the realities of, of birth and death. I'm shaped by my kids and by my relationship with my wife. I'm shaped uh, by the early death of my mother. I'm shaped by my father being sick. We're we're shaped by the sum total of all of our experiences, good, bad, or indifferent. And I'm sure you can, if you take a moment and pause and think about it, you, you know how these all bring to bear where you are today. Where I've often failed to reflect is that God was with me in each one of those moments. And in some ways, God was right there from the hog farm to today from my early moments at Jarvis Methodist Church till we go to the table today. God never left me and God never forsake me. And it's the same for these men that we have buried and it's the same for each one of you. Your lives are the sum total of your experiences and God's grace. I'm reading this, this passage from Samuel differently in light of all this. David is the sum total of a grand set of life experiences. This boy who vocationally has primarily had two roles, shepherd and king. Talk about a, a promotion, right? You go from uh, tending the fields to uh, leading God's chosen people. He has some brief forays in between as uh, a royal musician and as a mercenary, but we don't spend too much time talking about those. He was a shepherd to a king. He was a person who named that that he could go out and defeat Goliath because God had uh, kept him safe and provided for him in the field. And so he knew that he could be safe and provided for in this moment. 
He uh, had seen God's presence in every moment. He'd seen the ark and, and the power and the, the fearfulness of even being near it. And he reaches this moment of his ascendancy to power, this, this kind of height of his reign. The, the ark is back in the presence of Israel. He is finally king over, over the land. There is peace. There is no war. He's built his house. It's time to settle in. And he thinks, I love God. He has been near me and with me at every turn, from the field to the caves where I hid from Saul to this very moment. I need to honor him. How is it fitting that I live in this glorious palace and God dwells in a tent? And so he tells Nathan the prophet, I'm going to do this. And Nathan goes, good, go for it. Often I've thought that uh, David was kind of going willy-nilly with this idea, that he was kind of going on his own, but he went to God's prophet. This is two-thirds of the tripartite Israel, Hebrew government, we'll say, uh, thinking that this is a good idea. This is not bad. God had given them directions of how to build a tabernacle. We just need to make it permanent now. We, we see from the other cultures around us that they build temples for their gods. This is a sign that we are settled, that we are home, that God's promises made in the first covenants were fulfilled, and, and, and we should do this. And so the prophet agrees. And it's only later that God comes to Nathan the prophet and says, hold up. Maybe you should have talked to me first. This is great, and we will have a temple. But, but first, I want to offer you a different promise. You think your legacy is going to be this building. Your legacy is going to be an everlasting throne. You thought that this would declare that God is good. It's going to be the way that the line of David lasts forever. You wanted uh, to settle me, and I want to settle you. See, David, uh, you can rest can stop building. You don't have to do anything. I am going to do something. I am going to pour out blessing on you and establish your throne forever. I'm making a forever covenant with you, a barit olam. This uh, phrase is like the heights of our uh, Old Testament theology that God has uh, been covenant faithful from the time of Abraham and has announced continued faithfulness with David. You don't have to do anything. I am going to do this. And we see this this culmination of David's life uh, as as almost a a turning point where he can begin to imagine more, to to hope and dream. What does does my my dynasty look like? What does uh, my legacy look like if I trust God? We know from the rest of the story that it looks like ups and downs. It looks much like the promises God made that that there will be times where the Davidic kings will falter and fail. We know that they're going to eventually fracture the kingdom and in the north they're going to struggle and in the south they're going to struggle. And we're going to have this period between the Old Testament and New Testament where we kind of lose track of the Davidic kingship. But we know that when we turn the page to either of the genealogies, David is right there in the middle as the the New Testament uh, authors 
account for Jesus born in the line of David and the line of Abraham. Jesus, the, the king who sits on David's throne. Jesus, the one who continues this everlasting covenant. Who's going to come and invite a people to be part of covenant. To see that uh, the everyday ordinary parts of their lives are now part of God's story. Uh, Romans 12.1 in the message says, uh, now this is uh, your spiritual act of worship to offer your everyday ordinary eating, drinking, and sleeping lives as a gift to God. Through his death and resurrection, his ascension, and the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost, he invites us into this ongoing story where we can look at God's presence in our lives and say where he has been near and where we have struggled to see him, where we have grown and been shaped by the realities of life in an earthly kingdom while also being citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Through the good and the bad, through the ugly, the same God who is present with David is present with us. And the same God invites us into a bit of holy imagination to, to look and even say, is there something better than the good? The temple was going to be good, but the promise of uh, love was better. We do lots of good things, and I wonder sometimes if the Spirit is inviting us to dream of even something better, to stop and to listen and say, uh, where is God uh, dreaming us towards? Each day, my prayer is for, for us, the people of Andover, that God would set a, a fire in our hearts for, for, uh, for something better, for something beautiful, for something that doesn't require us to do anything. For just as God said to David, you don't have to build, he tells us, you don't have to be. Instead, I am sufficient for you. We say it in the, in the Eucharistic blessing that when our love failed, Christ's love remained steadfast. What could it look like for us as a people to, to reflect on the sum total of our lives, to look at the, the whole of them and, and, and examine God's presence, and then to open up our hearts and ask, what next, God? Where would you have us go and what would you have us do? Who would you have us encounter and who would you have us go and be blessing to? I get excited about that vision and that the answers to those questions and the, the responses to that uh, interrogation of God. And God will meet us in those prayers just as God meets us in our worship and meets us at the table. And God will, will bless you. God will uh, fill you with love and forgiveness. And God will shape you even in these days ahead. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, from our birth to our death, we know that we are, we are never outside the reach of your grace, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. We often miss you when you're right near us, and we often uh, seek to do the good when you can offer us the great Lord, would you meet us in this very moment and in this bread and this cup and uh, lavish us with grace and holy love that we might be made uh, more holy, set free from the powers of sin and death 
and sent forth loving you and loving our neighbor that in and through us the world might see your face. We pray all this in the name of Christ, the King, and the Lion of David, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.